everyone, and welcome to Let's Unpack That, your semi-weekly podcast where this queer millennial dissects topics at the top of my mind through the lens of anxiety, depression, and everything in between. Um, and today's episode is going to be a little bit different. Uh, we have the most guests that we've ever had on one episode, and that's really exciting. So the topic of today's episode is unpacking why we're voting for Joe Biden. Um, I think a hot topic right now, um, and also a topic that is particularly keeping me up at night because um, I was not somebody a year ago who even wanted to vote for Joe Biden. Um, and I'm not really somebody even now who is confident that he wants to vote for Joe Biden so much as feels like he has to vote for Joe Biden. Um, but this is definitely a relevant topic. Um, but um, today we are joined by Kirk Erica and Conrad Benner of Streets Department. Um, we also have our producer, Andrew, who uh, may want to chime in as well throughout the episode. Um, but I think we would be remiss to um, not start this episode by acknowledging what's going on with the Breonna Taylor case. Um, just in case you missed it, um, about four hours ago, um, we found out that none of the officers would be charged with anything to do with Breonna's death. Um, there is one charge of wanton endangerment, um, which has to do with an officer um, firing his gun through a wall and almost endangering neighbors, um, not necessarily endangering Breonna Taylor's life. So there's been a huge reaction on social media. There are already protests in Louisville and across the country. Um, and it's just something I know that we have unpacked before on this podcast. And I know that it's something that we can unpack now. It's not you know, one of the more joyous topics that we like to talk about, but it is very relevant to the political scene. So with that, um, I would like to welcome back uh, Kirk and Erica and Conrad, welcome to the podcast for the first time. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, super excited to have you. And Kirk and Erica, hello. Welcome back. Thanks. Hello. I just wanted to see if you guys had any initial reactions um, to the news about Breonna Taylor earlier this afternoon that you feel comfortable sharing or just thoughts that are kind of processing in your head. Um, and Erica, I would love to start with you, if that's OK. Yeah, I think it was it was one of those things where, like, I believe that they're the black community kind of first thought, well, this is probably... Like, is this going to be the one? Like, is this going to be the final opportunity that, you know, I mean, not final. I'm sure there will be more instances of police brutality um, and wrong, wrongful deaths by cops. But it was kind of like, all right, like, is this the one where, like, America truly refines its soul and, you know, gives us faith in the justice system? And I think a lot of us kind of thought, like, it probably isn't. Um you know, history shows that the law does not favor people who look like me or Breonna Taylor. And I think she should have been the easiest open and shut case that you could have imagined. She was asleep when it happened. Um, they were serving a warrant that was not for her. And it was a no knock entry. Um, and her boyfriend literally called the cops because <laughs> he thought it was an invasion. So, um, I wish I was more shocked, and I also wish that we lived in a country where this outcome was more surprising, but I, at this point, it's kind of like I'm numb to it. Like, what else do we need to do? Like, do people need to burn more buildings? Like, do we need to fucking, like, storm the White House? Not that I'm trying to incite anarchy, um, but honestly, I just... Like, what more needs to happen for there to be change? And I truly fear that 
the only way that we will get change is when it truly does start to affect the people who have let themselves be unaffected. I feel like, you know, we see a a lot of rioting happening in cities where, you know, it's a more diverse population and the suburbs just gets to, you know, sit back and scoff at it. I'm not saying bring the rioting anywhere, um, but I do think we should see peaceful protests in our suburbs. We should see demonstrations in our suburbs. And I truly think the only way that we'll ever get anywhere is we start forcing the white people who've been silent and uninvolved to become involved. Yeah, I think that that's such a good point. Um, my first reaction was that too. Like, um, you know, the only reason that I, I have followers on Instagram is because I started calling people out for their black squares that they never took action on beyond just posting their black square. You know, well, that story resonated with people. And then that movement totally kind of died out. And it's not that it, it it died out without progress because there has been a lot of police reform, I think, all across the country. I think it was something like the last time I checked with Campaign Zero, it was like 268 counties had changed, you know, some of their laws. But it's not fixing the challenge, right? So I think that that, that is just like a total normal reaction that we, we need to continue finding ways to protest peacefully. And it's really easy, I think, to feel right now that our, our protest didn't do anything, that our social media didn't do anything. It was 200 days of activism, basically, um, to get the result that was the most expected result. I don't want to say that because I think that there was a lot that we accomplished during that time. But Kirk, do you have any first thoughts on any of that? A week or so ago, I was with a friend who um, was a law student at Penn State, I think, and we were talking about this. And I just was like interested to hear from a lawyer's perspective, I don't know what they they thought about all this, and especially with the Brown and Taylor case and what she thought would happen like logistically. She, this is what she said. They're going to say that it was nothing to do with her. Because if you look at it, she's not even the victim on the, um, and I can't speak eloquently about this, but isn't the victim that is listed on whatever you would call it. And um, she did say, she's like, you know, it's going to come out. He'll get charged for, indicted for, you know, what, what he got indicted for, which which wasn't actually the murder of her. Um, so I'm not that shocked. And I actually saw something today that was like, you know, the justice um, system did work in a way it protected the white man and you know the, it protected the people in power and that's what our justice department has always done um so that was interesting because it was like you know that is true that that's this was this is what keeps happening so it's like why are we shocked you know i, I know that we're doing all these things to, to change it but it's at the end of the day like the system itself again then we always go back to this was created for that reason to protect certain people and this is just not a person you know that it's supposed to protect so how do we change that is, is you know the real question yeah what happened was exactly what it was designed to do right and and that's what's like scary it can't protect people if it wasn't designed so to protect the them in the first place. yeah 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 why why would the outcome be any different and um like conrad i'd love to get your take on this um for a couple reasons you are somebody who who i followed on instagram for for quite a while um especially as i started to like understand philadelphia more and love philadelphia a little bit more really see it in a different light but but you've been leading a lot of some of i would say like the local response here in some ways with like the way that you you talked specifically around like the rizzo statue and like the value of protests you were the one of the first people i saw to like really give a really um impactful like take on defunding the police it would appear that you've been using arts and culture and different people to sort of inspire political work for a while. Um, I'm curious as to your take on, on some of this stuff. Yeah. Well, thanks for following um, for so long. Um, And I think, you know, at the end of the day, I'm a curator, right? So I'm curating art. I'm curating sort of other 
in, in the case of the recent movement, like curating things that I saw online and resharing that. So I was just kind of sharing what I found to be really insightful from other people for the most part. Today's ruling is so disheartening, numbing even in the case of Erica, as you said. Um, but we just had some of the biggest protests in American history this summer, um, the ripple effects of which are going to change this country, hopefully for the better, right? I think there are going to be political leaders that come out of this Black Lives Matter movement who will be elected in the years to come that will do, that will create change. Um, I wish it could happen overnight. It's been happening for right generations. I mean, since the start of, you know, the first human born probably, right? And certainly since the start of America. Um, and I think when I think about this summer and the the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement, and you look at sort of the the two names that sort of rose to the top, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, those cases came to the top because they were so cut and dry. There was no wiggle room there. People shouldn't get murdered in their bed, right? And people shouldn't be murdered on the street with a knee on their neck for nine minutes. There's not a single American, I think, who disagrees with that, right? So that's why I am kind of shocked by the ruling today and, and shocked by the fact that no, you can kill someone in your job just and not get and get away with it in a way. Um, there are plenty of harmful jobs, right? I think um, police have a, a dangerous job, but it's like the 16th most dangerous job in America, right? So imagine if you're in one of those 15 other more dangerous jobs and you drove your car over someone and killed someone and then you didn't face anything from it because, oh, well, it was protocol. Well, what's the protocol? Let's change the protocol. So much of what needs to happen is with the police unions. I think what I have learned through this process I'm sure many people knew this, but something I've learned is that you can have gigantic protests. You can have general consensus about, you know, people shouldn't die this way and police shouldn't do this thing. But the union, the police unions in all these cities and all these states have so much power and we need to start chipping away at that. There's a there's an effort here in Philadelphia to do that with the with the police union here. Because um, at the end of the day, if you kill someone, your union, your union shouldn't protect you for that, among many other things. And I'll say too, like, I, this doesn't feel over. I don't think this case is over. As we speak, there are people at City Hall, Philadelphia. There are people in cities across this country protesting this decision. So I don't think this even Breonna Taylor case is over. We 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 can't. How do we start to change if we can't have justice when it's the most simplest case possible? You know. Yeah, it's 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 funny. Like I was talking to a family member today who works in policing, and and his reaction was, "I know you don't want to hear this, but." it was ruled this way because the shooting was legal. And I have a million arguments, you know, to that. Um, but like I, that I protocol just think the protocol protects them. Right. The unions protect them. Okay. exactly. Why was it legal then? Let's change that. The, and that's exactly what I said. I said, if that's what your argument is going to be like, that's a bullshit argument. Uh, if that's the way the law is and you're somebody who works in law enforcement, you should be speaking up every single day to be able to do that. And and if you can't do it, you know, on your own, you have a bunch of officers that go public with it. Um, but they're protected. And then the police unions, like you were saying, they vilify the ones that do speak out and they fire them. Like, so it's, it's, and I don't, you know, like, I think that the majority of police officers probably don't want to speak up and say something, um, or at least it would appear to be with the flags that I've been seeing. Um, it's just, it, it is like, and, and I think that you're right. Like, and, and thank you for providing a little bit more of like a hopeful perspective. Um, just that it, the movement's not over. Like cases can obviously be like appealed in a variety of ways. I don't know specifically what would happen with this case, but 
the protests will continue to happen and change will continue to happen, but only if we keep advocating, right? Well, and this is like a part of a never ending fight, right? Like you can't, there's no end to this, right? People are always going to want to take advantage of people. Um, So it's a never ending fight. I recently found out that like cops have no constitutional obligation to protect individuals. So if I'm at a park and some guy like comes up with a gun and he goes to a cop and says, like, I'm going to shoot that girl, Erica, over there right now. You can stop me or you can let me do it. Like, if a cop were to be like, go ahead, I don't care. Like, they're not under any legal obligation to do anything. Like, they're not obligated to protect individuals. And it's kind of like, is that not? <laughs> like, does that right. not strike you as a red flag? And there have been Supreme Court cases about it. You know, I do think that our policing system was not created for individuals. It was created to enforce the laws of a government that does not, has not served its country for pretty much its inception. Agreed. Any any kind of final thoughts? Kirk, it looked like you were about to say something. Something I saw today as well in regards to this was more about the ruling was what it was and when when it was, but I think timing is interesting with this. Um, I saw something that was saying how I think it's the attorney general um, of Kentucky, I think his name is Daniel. Help me, Daniel Cameron. Daniel Cameron. Yeah, I think he is on like a, sh- a short list or one short list for Trump's SCOTUS, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean, oh, so it's it's like maybe that, and like you know, maybe I don't know. If you think this is might be a little bit of a crazy liberal way of thinking of things, but if it's like they made this this you know they announced this today or this week after what happened to RBG, and now they're talking about you know replacing her, and then it's like. They knew by doing this that there will be more protests. They'll be able to say there's a lot more violence because, sure, there will be some rioting to a degree, I'm sure. And then it's this talk about law and order, law and order, law and order, scare people. And then let's have someone like this, you know, who actually cracks down on XYZ in Kentucky. And then they can use it, you know, politicize the Brown Taylor thing even more for their advantage. Um, I don't know. Just something I did see and I thought it was pretty interesting because I didn't even know that he was on that shortlist. Um I do know he spoke at the RNC, I think. Yeah, yeah, he I definitely spoke at the RNC. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't hear that much about the shortlist, but I can't imagine that he's a national figure that's going away anytime right. soon. Right. And he will have a long and profitable career writing the name of Breonna Taylor. I can just imagine that. Right. And that's how many people have done that before him. <laughs> Well, and policing is super local, right? So like, if you live in a city like Philadelphia that claims to have progressive people in power, you can push them. And something I found really um, interesting with this past summer was there was so much information out there shared by so many different people on social media. And all of a sudden, you have everyone and their mom understanding the budget because people broke it down in really understandable ways using Canva and other tools. And when you have people in power, when their constituents call them and say, I know exactly what you can do right now, and I want you to do it. That's powerful, right? It's one thing to say we should change things. It's another thing to like send an email every day, visit them, call them. I think there are a number of people on city council, a few people at least, who do want to see like systemic change. It's just a constant push. Um, and the more information we know, the more we dive into that stuff. Why should the Why should the Philadelphia Police Department get a thirty percent increase in their budget in the past few, few years? What other did the schools get a thirty percent increase? Did parks? No. Why should they? So they have more money than they've ever had. Violence is still up. Okay, you're not, clearly that's not the answer, right? So what is the answer? It's not that. Maybe we take money from there and put it into investing in our, into our communities and into people. Unchecked power corrupts absolutely. Or what is that, whatever that saying is, you know, right. union, yeah. unions are good. Okay, unions that big that can 
that can legislate murder are not good, right? So let's chip away at that. Yeah, they legislate the murder and then they they legislate the court cases that they look at. They control the narrative of the evidence that's presented too, because they control every single piece of it, the investigation and the prosecution. It's wild. Like it's totally wild. Um, and that was one thing I, I wanted to talk about and happy to kind of segue into the the interview where I think people can get to know you a little bit more, Conrad, too, because I think like one of the things that that I appreciated that that you had shared a few times throughout the summer was around things like the um, Facebook group of Philadelphia police officers where a bunch of them were caught using racial slurs, I think, and then nothing really happened. And then a couple other things you shared specifically around the mayor, like, like what's been your process to get involved in some of that stuff and how can people do that locally? Yeah. I mean, I just live in the city and I pay attention to, to folks when they say things, uh, right? So yeah, I think you're probably just talking about like different things I shared on Instagram or on Twitter. The video someone posted to a Facebook group that showed the cops in Fishtown letting the sort of white vigilantes with the bats telling them to go home so they could arrest the Black Lives Matter protesters. Like there's a video of that. Um, that department's led by Captain Fisher. And there's a petition now with tens of thousands of signatures asking for his removal that, you know, is pending. One of the people I've been following really closely during this time was the Amistad Law Project and I actually interviewed Chris Henderson uh, for my podcast recently to talk more about their work and how people can support them and just understanding the prison industrial complex a bit better ways that people can fight for change here in the city, the limits of a, even a quote-unquote progressive DA, right? Yeah, yeah. Which that's been like at least somewhat liberating that at least these people feel like they're having a voice, you know? Like whether it's a national figure, you know, like somebody like what uh, Tamika Mallory, she was at the the protest today. But it it is, like you said, like I, I get frustrated a lot of times when people talk about their vote not mattering. And, and of course, like, you know, the phrase is, right, voting is just one tool in the toolbox. But like, if you do want change to happen locally, you do have to open your ears, follow those people and vote locally. Yeah. And, and vote for those people and then hold them to account. Right. Um, I interviewed Helen Gim in my first season of the podcast, and she's, she said something to the effect of, you know, where politicians are, are the foam on top of a wave and we need that wave. You know, they can get things done when there's a million people behind them pushing them in that direction. Um, but even if they want something done, if there's not wave under them, you know, there's not a ton, ton they can do, especially when you're just on city council and maybe not the mayor. I wish he would have stepped down after his first term. I didn't support him when he ran for the second time. I think he's shown his colors a few times and those are that he'll say one thing, but not really do anything about it. Um, he's been doing that for years. Um, he ran as a, a mayor for the neighborhoods. If you remember, he ran as, you know, there's so much investment in center city. We're going to invest in the neighborhoods. Okay. Well, where's that been at? You charge the soda tax to what make a few parks cooler instead of what getting rid of the 10 year tax abatement uh, that could have gone away for million dollar homes, half million dollar homes. Maybe those folks could invest their money to help the parks better, to help schools, to help public transit, but no one to soda that never, that didn't make a ton of sense to me. Um, and yeah, through this moment, I think he's just failed over and over again to prove that he can lead in this moment um, and that he can make the right decisions. Um, he is the man who increased the Philadelphia Police Department's budget by 30% in the last four years um, with no positive results to come from it that I can see. You know, He had the chance when the whole city was protesting to pull that money back and he didn't. I, I'm excited to see him leave. I wish he would step down. You know, Abernathy, his, uh, his director had to step down and I was just waiting for him to be next. I don't like the right. mayor, if, that, if that's clear. You know what? <laughs> I think it's so funny because it is like a bipartisan issue. Like I know <laughs> right, everyone like <laughs> South Philly Republicans and they're like, yeah, like 
fuck Mayor Kenny. And I was like, yeah, fuck Mayor Kenny. So one thing we all can agree on is he's a terrible mayor. (laughs) We have that, right, as part of our hope. (laughs) Finally, we found common ground. When his director stepped down because his director said, oh, I didn't know anything like this could happen. I wasn't paying attention. Like that was, I'm paraphrasing. Effectively, his quote. I was like, "Oh, it's Abernathy. Then it's going to be him, and then you know we'll we'll see what's next." But um, he had hopes to run for governor. That's clearly out the window now. So you know, I don't know. Yeah, he can't win if he doesn't have the support of Philadelphia. Thank God. Yeah, Conrad, you mentioned your podcast, but you also you know mentioned being a a curator, um, and and specifically, I know it's streets department. So could you give um our listeners because of course you're you're Philadelphia based, but I don't think the message behind your work is an individual to Philadelphia. So could you talk a little bit about streets department? You know when you founded it, like uh, why you started doing it? Um, Because it's been a while now, right? Yeah, it'll be 10 years this January. So I grew up in Philly. I grew up in Fishtown. Um, I went to community college. And somewhere in my mid-20s, 24, I wanted to start this blog. Um, I love street art. I had been walking a lot. I had been in a recent bike accident. I broke my leg on Spring Garden Street. I got hit by a van. Um, so I was walking a lot, not biking. Um, and a boyfriend at the time actually bought me a little point-and-shoot camera. Um, so I was taking photos, too. And so many of my photos were of street art. You know, street art's constantly changing, different murals um, and sunsets, you know, because a good sunset's beautiful to photograph. Um, So I was putting a lot of them on my Twitter and I thought, why not just pull this together and put it on a blog? This was like right before Instagram. So there weren't hashtags you could check for street art. um, And most of the major media outlets in Philly weren't really paying attention to local, you know, smaller scale street art stuff. You know, they would write about a mural here and there. So I started the blog, you know, just that as as a fanboy blog about local street art. Started meeting street artists that way. Curated my first street art show um, in October of that year at Philomoca. Um, and it just kind of chugged on. Um, from that, from creating the blog and the success of it early on, I got a job in marketing. So then I worked in marketing for four years. Um, and then I quit to pursue Streets Department full time. And that included expanding the kind of content we create. So Streets Department then grew from just a fanboy blog of a few photos here and there of street artists to longer form interviews. We have a podcast now and we do a lot more curatorial work. So actually curating for the public space in Philly, we have right now um, some murals in the fashion district. In October, we're building six walls in Love Park and we're going to do six murals all around voting. Um, we're calling it To the Polls 2020. It's the second iteration of a project I created in 2018. 18 with 10 local artists. Um, but this time it'll be outdoors in Love Park. I'm really excited about that. Over the years, I've talked about many other things, right? Like I've also used my platform to raise awareness of youth homelessness in Philly. We raise money with Covenant House PA. Youth homelessness is an issue, a problem that we can solve with money. People just need money to have a bed and a room. Um, youth homelessness is different than adult chronic homelessness too, in that most youth homelessness only lasts for a few months, the majority of it. Most uh, youth who are homeless have a job and or in school. Um, and a lot of youth homelessness are kicked out because they got into a fight with their parents or they're because they're queer or trans. Um, they're a part of the LGBT community. All they need is a bedroom, right? The, you can't go to an adult homeless shelter because those are only open at night. Um, you, need a, you need a dorm, basically. You need a place to put your, your stuff because you have to go to school and work. And you need a bed that's your own, not, not like a shelter that's just open at night. Um, Covenant House provides that. A huge shout out to Covenant House. If you guys have not, you know, heard of them before, um, you probably have a Covenant House in your community, um, and yeah. they host uh, during non-COVID times sleepouts, um, which are really cool ways to raise awareness about homeless and also raise obviously funds for homeless too. But um, you get to talk to some of the kids that have went through their program, specifically that gap in the foster care system that I think you were mentioning too. Like, like they're fully functioning adults, like with jobs, they just need a place to stay. And like, yeah, I didn't even mention love. the foster care thing. Yeah, the kids are just like kicked out at a certain age. When 
once they if they hit the number. Um, and adult chronic homelessness needs to be addressed too. That's just a money issue as well. It's just a slightly more complicated, but also, you know, people deserve homes. People deserve food. You know, these are basic human rights that we can fight for and we should have in quote unquote, the richest country in the nation, right? All that kind of stuff. I created a petition to have the subways run 24-7 in 2014, and I've worked on a lot of voter engagement projects over the years. Um, so yeah, the platform has grown t- to focus not just on street art, but on just public life in general, um, which I've been really excited about and kind of led to what you talked about at the beginning of this, You know, using the platform to, when a moment like the Black Lives Matter resurgence comes back, you know, using the platform I have to talk about what other people are sharing about how to be involved in the movement, who to call, what to fight for, you know, sharing sort of what other leaders in Philadelphia uh, know and understand clearly. How has your work been impacted by COVID? Because when you first started, yeah. when, when COVID first hit, I know you were doing a lot of um, like Instagram lives and then that sort of shifted, you know, sometime in June. So how has your work and the work of like public art really changed in the time of the pandemic? Oh, it's changed so much. This was going to be the biggest year for Streets Department ever. We were going to have more projects than ever. And I put everything on pause. Um, so my first reaction was to host those daily Instagram lives. That was just a chance for me to like talk with people around Philly, check in with friends and artists I've been following for for years and, you know, create something for, for the public. It seemed like everyone was on Instagram. Everyone was on Instagram live. And if people wanted to see it, they would see it. Each episode just got like a few thousand views by the end. So it wasn't massive, but, um, you know, I think the people who saw it liked it. And we had some pretty interesting guests. We had like leaders from the PMA and the Barnes, as well as local artists like Niall Livingston, Marion Bailey, photographer Phobi Mo. Um, it was really exciting. But then after, you know, the 70th day of that, I, I had to just stop doing Instagram data lives. <laughs> Once I realized that, oh, our, our government isn't going to take care of this. Let's, uh, I can't oh, do this right. for two years, right? <laughs> yeah. You just shift that focus a little bit, right? And then as the summer went on, um, slowly these projects came back in different ways. Like the Fashion District Project um, came back. Um, that was something that was on pause for a minute and to the polls as well. It's I think every artist is in the same boat. It's especially, my heart goes out to anyone in the entertainment industry, musicians particularly, DJs. They don't have a lot of options, right? I can host murals outside the Fashion District Open so I can do murals there. But, you know, it's going to be a while before we're, we're back in like, concert halls and stuff. I wanted to ask specifically around like what's happening um, in Philadelphia as it relates to like the art and culture budget. Like what are some of the issues that that the arts community is facing right now, just besides the fact that like a lot of the gig workers don't have their normal work? What are some of the other issues that are happening within that community? I mean, I've lived in the city for 35 years and I can't remember the last time there's been so much conversation across so many Philadelphians about the budget, right? Everyone's eyes are on the budget and it's because the budget's getting cut. With COVID, and the tax revenue being uh, reduced, the city needs to cut places. Um, if you remember a, a number of years ago, Mayor Nutter was criticized for talking about cutting back at the libraries um, to reduce the budget. And it was this huge pushback, right? So Mayor Kenny is experiencing a similar thing where we're reducing our tax revenue. Um, unlike the federal government, state and local governments can't print money. Um, so their budgets have to even out at the end of the year. Um, so they can only spend money that they get in with tax revenue. So they have to cut from somewhere, right? Um, and that's why so many people were saying, okay, maybe the first place to cut is this $120 million that you added to the Philadelphia Police Department in the last three years, right? That seems to make the most sense, right? You just added it a couple of years ago. Let's reduce that so that we don't have to cut so many other things. But the mayor's first proposal was to cut basically everything but the police. You know, I'm, par- I'm being facetious, but it felt that way. Um, it was basically every art program completely eliminating the uh, Office of Arts and Culture, 
reducing the mural arts budget, reducing the budget for the African-American Museum. And there was so much pushback that some of that funding came back. I think one person at the Office of Arts and Cultures was able to keep their position, but I think the office is still technically closed and they've been moved over to something else. Mural Arts was still, um, their budget was reduced, not slashed, but reduced. Um, And I think um, some money was again found for the African-American Museum. But, you know, we're going through an economic crisis. And in my opinion, if we learned anything from the Great Depression, it's that when the government doesn't help and help in a big way, um, the recovery is going to be very slow if it ever recovers, right? So that's the role of government, right? We we need you to help us in this moment, right? The restaurants need money, artists need money, uh, musicians need money, anyone who can't work through this moment, right? There are plenty of companies that can work through this moment, but the arts are particularly affected because it's a lot of in-person stuff. So I've been disappointed by how the mayor has handled arts and culture in Philadelphia. It doesn't seem to be a priority for him. It's kind of a, a last idea. Um, And it took citywide protests and constant calls to his office to get any kind of funding reinstated for the arts. And I think what's potentially even more sad is that those budget cuts were based off a proposed budget that seems like that was even more than what it's going to be. So we might even have to make more budget cuts, and I don't know where those come from. The arts are suffering, and um, artists are suffering, and the world is suffering. We need the federal government to step in. Um, And we don't have leaders in the federal government who want to do that, right? We had one stimulus check. 300 years ago at this point. Um, other countries have been doing it monthly. Um, and in, on my podcast, you know, I talked with um, Robert Perry from Tattooed Moms. It took him forever to get any help from the government for his business. It's been in a restaurant in Philly for 20 some years. The, that's the one thing the federal government can do is like offer grants, offer, you know, cheap loans, uh, that sort of thing. Um, and we don't have a president or an administration um, or a Senate who seems to have the people as a priority. They seem to only have their friends as a priority, which is why I'm voting for Joe Biden to bring it back to I was going to say, what a great segue. (laughs) Uh, But before we we jump into that, I wanted to ask, obviously the arts have always been political in some aspects or people at least can tell political messages with art. But like, where do you see specifically Streets Department going during this time? What are you thinking of doing to ramp up around the election and stuff like that? The blog will continue to document the work of Philly street artist. Um, I just photographed an installation by Marissa Velasquez Rivas um, that says, we the people vote. Um, I'm sure more and more artists are going to do more and more stuff as we get closer to the election. Personally, Streets Department is curating that exhibition to the polls at Love Park. So we're going to be creating six murals um, that people can Instagram, take selfies in front of and post on social media to encourage their friends and loved ones to vote. Because in Pennsylvania, we're a swing state. And uh, we don't need that many votes to swing it back blue. And a number of people um, in in Philadelphia could change that, right? So if you didn't vote in the last election or if you've never voted before, um, or if you did, do it. Vote and tell your friends to vote and tell your family to vote and be annoying. Tell them all the time. Joe Biden was far from my first choice. Um, I was a Bernie supporter. I was an Elizabeth Warren supporter. I think that we need big change in this country, but we didn't get that. And I think Joe Biden is the best person to have in the White House to fight against, right? We can't win fights against Trump for progressive issues. I think we can continue to push Biden, though. And that's why I am truly excited to have him in the White House, right? He's not, he's not my ideal president, but I think we can fight him and win. I'm working on this project called Mailbox Voters. My friend Jack Sharples and I are doing this online campaign to give people all the information they need about how to vote in this election because it's never been easier to vote. You can vote by mail. 
it looks like you'll be able to vote in person by mail. Uh, you'll be able to vote by mail by special ballot boxes, drop-off centers, and you can vote in person. So we're creating content that we're going to share on Instagram that makes it as easy as possible to understand how to vote and helps you understand some of the mistakes you can make, particularly when you vote by mail, that can make your ballot not, not work. And that's going to be the news item I have for later. Perfect. Uh, jumping into the main segment of the episode, we wanted to each kind of go around and say a headline, um, something in the news that you may have missed, or just something that is particularly important to us right now. There was a ton of stuff this week that made really big news, talking about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the Breonna Taylor case, the 200,000 deaths when Trump is saying, well, it could have been 2 million, uh, Trump and TikTok, um, California being on fire, Oregon being on fire, um, a corruption report against uh, Joe Biden that proved to be entirely false. Um, and also um, what my headline is, um, is something that was only covered or predominantly covered by conservative news outlets. And it was Don Lemon on CNN saying, we need to blow up the system. And he was talking about the Electoral College. And he was talking about how the system needs to change and Joe Biden needs to expand the court if the hypocrisy of the Republicans continue. Um, but that quote, blow up the system by a CNN news anchor, reporter and analyst, that made it on all of the conservative news outlets because that is what's playing into the Trump narrative against Joe Biden. So the whole thing of fucking the system, the whole thing of, um, you know, Biden is a puppet of the radical left, AOC plus three and Bernie Sanders, all of that stuff gets covered. So anytime somebody like Don Lemon says blow up the system, anytime any of us talk about, you know, these radical systemic changes, anytime anybody in, in power talks about that stuff, it will get covered, but will not get covered by the news outlets that maybe we are more likely to read. So when you think about Fox, when you think about Breitbart, when you think about OAN, they latch onto quotes like that. So that's just a headline I say, I know most of our listeners have missed, um, but that's probably because it wasn't reported in that way. I firmly believe in blowing up the Electoral College. Um, but um, just knowing that that's the way that the media covers different things and covers different headlines is something that we should keep in mind because when people start saying things like Joe Biden's a puppet or Joe Biden wants to blow up the system, Joe Biden has no respect for the Constitution, this is where those people are getting their information from. And we need to make sure we arm ourselves to fight against that. So that's my headline. I mean, we should get rid of the Electoral College though. Oh, 100%. 100%. 100%. <laughs> yeah, I think that would be my headline is that Maine is advancing towards ranked choice voting. I think that's probably one of the best ways we have to reform our elections. Yeah, and I agree. And I hope it starts spreading to other states. Yes. So I had to pick something that was at least a little bit hopeful because especially after the Breonna Taylor news and just everything, it just seems like, I mean, Paul, you and I were texting the other night after Ruth Bader Ginsburg died and it just seems endless, like this endless death spiral, like all the time in the news. So it's nice to see at least a little glimmer of hope. Yeah. Maybe. I totally agree. And like the the level of cynicism on the Democratic side around ranked choice voting is so insane. They're like, oh, you think that people will ever do that? You think that people will ever institute that? And I'm like, if we get enough people and get enough interest, of course they will. Yeah. Maine is not this wildly progressive state, you know, like right. why would we not want to try that stuff? So should we maybe for some people that don't know what it is, just go over what ranked choice voting is? 
Yeah, I think that's a good call. So if you don't know, rank choice voting is basically where you get to pick and rank your candidates up and down the ballot. So if there are five people on the ballot, if you have Bernie Sanders, you have Joe Biden, you have Elizabeth Warren, you have Pete Buttigieg, and you have Cory Booker, you can actually rank them from top to bottom, one through five. So if your first choice doesn't get enough votes and doesn't get over 50% of the threshold, then the votes go to your second choice. So then your second choice gets to go and then sort of votes collate together. So basically, I think it's a way of making elections more fair, because it's not just winner take all where it's either Trump or Biden, it's like actually a a mix of people in between. And that's, I think, how you get more parties into our political system. And the way I understand it, too, is like, with the past, like few elections, I don't know, that I've seen, everyone thinks they know what the win's going to do, right? So everyone's like, it's, it's, you know, I like Elizabeth Warren. I like Bernie Sanders, but it should be Biden because he'll win the middle of the country. It's like, okay, based on what? You're just choosing to believe that? Yeah. Everyone's a pundit is what they're saying. So if you have ranked choice voting, maybe there'll be less punditry of the citizenry and people will just vote based off of ideas. I think more more people would vote, I think, too. If the people in the middle who voted for Bernie and it's never going to happen, say, like, now there's a possibility that it could you know, happen, or maybe if it's not Bernie, it's Elizabeth, but now all you have is Joe. In this situation, you'd have more options, I think. I do think more people would vote. Yeah. yeah. This binary choice is such a like devil's deal. Yeah. I also think it allows people to still vote within their um, conscience. You know, For some people, Joe Biden might be their number three. Um, and they can still vote that way. Like they can still vote the way that they want to vote. Um, and their choices can be represented, I think, at least like for in a personal aspect, I think it is a very powerful option in the sense that like, I don't have to say like, I'm all or nothing for Joe Biden if I am not all or nothing for Joe Biden. And I think, right. you know, no one is ever all or nothing for any political candidate. Like there are things that um, Bernie Sanders posed that I kind of felt some type of way about. So I think it is an option that I hope gets adopted. And I think what What's really going to make the change is for states like California that generally that have always voted one way, it's one thing. But I think for the swing states, it's pretty powerful as well. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's a good headline, Andrew. Uh, Erica, what's your headline? So my headline is a little bit of a hot button thing. It was more of an opinion piece um, that was based in factuality. And it was actually about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I think she was without a doubt a icon when it comes to the progression of women um, in certain workplaces, but um, how she is more of a representative of white feminism, which I thought was really interesting. Um, And the article that I read actually painted it along the backsplash of Breonna Taylor, where um, some of the women who were like, oh, like, this is my child dressed up as Ruth Bader Ginsburg in third grade. And you know, she's such an iconic person to my kid, um, you know, that's great. But then those are also the women who kind of stayed silent when it came to Breonna Taylor, or they would post a selfie and it'd be like, today's a great day to arrest the cops who murdered Breonna Taylor. And it's like, that is literally you using someone's death, you know, for clout. So um, it kind of went through some policies that she took a stance on the fact that she, um, notably did not have many clerks of color during her legal career. And that's not to say that she was not a 
incredible and influential person, but um, I think it does show that, you know, um, we still have a long ways to go. And um, someone else also pointed out, like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, her death, I think when you look at it from a completely objective perspective, is not something like mind-blowing. Like she's 87 and she died of a cancer that had metastasized. So it was to be expected, but uh, the fragility of our democracy off of that. So it was a really interesting um, opinion piece. And I think it did at least for me as a woman of color, kind of bring out a perspective that I didn't think of because yes, again, she was an incredible woman and she did make a lot of great advances. Like I am a woman with a mortgage and a woman with too many credit cards. So um, <laughs> thanks RVG for the debt. But um, again, that's to say there is a fine line between feminism and white feminism. Um, and the piece really did focus on how the fact that when you look at these feminist icons, it almost solely circles around uh, white women and then like Michelle Obama and like Frida Kahlo. <laughs> so <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah, I did not read that piece, yeah, but definitely makes sense. Does anybody else have any reaction to that? I remember when it happened, as if it was last week, but when it happened, when it, notification came on my phone, of course, it was like jarring and shocking. But to your point, I thought about that too, about how, you know, Erica, she is an 80-something-year-old woman that was going to die. Just the fact that I saw a tweet or something that was like, the fact that our democracy is on the, the shoulders of an old woman is kind of insane. But um, I was texting multiple different groups about it in my one group chat where I think I'm the only white person and only white male in it that all of my girlfriends who are black were all like, you know, this is sad, this is scary, but they were like coming for the onslaught of every white girl I know posting RBG on Instagram for the next seven days, which was, I mean, true. I mean, I did it of my, and I'm an white girl, but, but this idea kind of, and we were talking reminded us of the whole um, women's March. That's what kind of what are all seeing all that again about RBG. Um, not that she was women's March, but the same type of people that were super active for that, but not active for, the past six months necessarily maybe they were here and there and not everyone not a blanket statement but a lot of people um that those are the people that you know were posting again so it is interesting to um no no dig or knock at rbg but just you know that there still is a, a long way to go my headline is naked ballots it's real simple this is the first year that people are voting by mail in pennsylvania it's a new system and people don't know how to do it exactly and it's not a thousand percent easy right you get your ballot you're supposed to do a couple of things, including sign it and including putting it in this naked quote unquote ballot. It's the white envelope that comes in the kit. You put it in the white envelope first and then you put it in the envelope that you put it in to mail it. If they receive it and it's not signed, your vote doesn't count. If they receive it and it's not in this naked ballot in the white envelope, it's not going to count. And in talking with Commissioner Al Schmidt for the Mailbox Voters Project I'm working on, we're also learning things like people were scribbling in the lines like fuck Trump, stuff like that. Um, and if you scribble anywhere that you're not supposed to scribble, your vote also doesn't count. So, you know, people might think they're doing everything right, signing it, and then just adding a little flair, you know, and then your vote doesn't count. So that's one of the things we're going to use mailbox orders for is to, to help show people how to do that. And luckily, I saw a lot of people posting on Instagram over the couple, last couple of days about how exactly to insert your ballot by mail the right way. Make a ballots, don't mess up. You went, all, yeah. you went through all that trouble to register and to register for vote by mail and to fill out your ballot. Just spend two more seconds, Google it, do whatever, but just do it right. 
Every every single vote's going to count so much in PA this year. I know. Agreed. Only lost by 44,000, right? So it's crazy. It's next to nothing. It's next to nothing. I know. If more people in Philadelphia who didn't vote itself just voted, in just Philadelphia, for Pennsylvania. Oh, yeah. Lost. I'm assuming they were voting for Hillary Clinton. I'm not saying they were, but if they were. Right. Philly can control the state if if enough of us vote, you know? Mm-hmm. We don't even need everyone to vote, just if enough of us vote. And to put 44,000 in perspective, I think Fishtown alone has like 25,000 residents. You know, that's children too, but it's not that many people. It's not at all. Yeah, I think the mailbox um, voter thing is going to be really key, like understanding how all of that's going to work. So yeah. thank you for for doing that. Kirk, what's your headline? I have... Two. The one is super quick. We'll do that one last. But the first, this is going to be the one that I did. But then as I was like getting ready for this, I saw this. I think he gave this interview, not interview, but I think he said this this afternoon. Um, it was, and the headline is Trump refuses to commit to a peaceful transition of power after election day, which I think he's been saying throughout, but he just said it this afternoon around um, someone was asking him um, due to, you know, a lot of the protests and everything that's happening right now the past few months, would you be willing if you lost, you know, to, to be peaceful and actually transition, have the transition of power? And he said, he dodged the question and then said that, um, if, you know, he talked about voting and he talked about that the voting is going to be wrong and the mail-in ballots are wrong and the Democrats know better than anyone that the voting is going to be so messed up. And so he said, so there shouldn't be a transition of power because it'll just be a continuation of power. Um, so it completely dodged the question, but um, it was interesting to see that he literally was just like, I'm not going to say I would do it peacefully. So I think it's something that I know we kind of t- talked about when we were chatting earlier um, before we were recording about this idea of we won't know the day after the election what happens. Um, I know a lot of time we don't anyway, but we really probably won't. And this is scary to think that, you know, how, we don't know how long we'll know. And then even when we do know, will he, how, what then happens? <laughs> like, does he go willingly or unwillingly? Or does, you know, so all that kind of stuff is really scary to think about the closer we get to it. Going to be a rough three months. Yeah. yeah. And just like, it's not even we met, we might not know. We will not know won't on know, election yeah. night. We probably won't know for at least a week or two. Um, and that's hopeful. You know, there's, there's just too much to count. And I think that's where the media has to play a role. We have, they have to set expectations. We can't have these these parties on election night thinking anything is going to come through. Um, and ugh, I'm really anxious about it because it's the first election like this in, in history where like things don't just happen immediately it's because it's happening during the pandemic. So do you think to that point um, he, the, you know, the idea of the party or the concession or the non-concession or the celebrate, like if he is winning, which he very well might be due to the circumstances of how everyone's voting, how each party's voting, whether by mail or in person, assuming more of his people vote in person, we think, um, will he try to have the celebration that night before it's really even called, but he thinks it's this called? Is, this is why it needs to be a design issue. Like, you know how like normally, like when you're looking at CNN or one of those on, on election night, it's like the the main focus of, if they're looking at like California, for example, the main focus would be the, the 20% blue, 80% red or vice versa. And then at the bottom, it's like 10% reporting. On election night, that 10% reporting needs to be the main thing. Yeah. Make that gigantic and the, the, the bottom can be who's winning. Yeah. But it's really, we're, people need to know that we're not going to see all the votes for a while. Yeah. Our, our country's never gone through this. Most states haven't, I shouldn't say. There are actually many states that have been doing vote by mail for a long time, but a lot of states it's new for. Um, not even to mention that like the Trump administration and different governments and states across the country are making it harder and harder for people to vote. They're limiting polling locations, so people might have to stand in line for a very long time. There's going to be all kinds of challenges. Um, not trying to be pessimistic, I just... I think it's the expectation is we're not going to know for on election day. We're not going to know the next day. It's going to be like 2000 again, where it might take a, a while. 
the chance that we make it out of this, you know, without massive lawsuits. I mean, there are lawsuits in Georgia around the primaries because of polling sites being closed, of voter suppression, of people, you know, getting turned away, saying that they're dead when they're still voting or people getting turned away because they say that they moved and they have not moved. Like this, this is going to be a continuous challenge. In 2000, we had the hanging chad. This year, there's a million hanging chads. It could be they could start suing for like how late you mailed your ballot, what the the stamp was. They could put a thing up against the scribbling or the not signing or the wrong envelope thing. That's why if you're voting by mail, just mail it the day you get it. Pour a glass of wine, open a beer, fill it out and walk to the mailbox that night. Like they need to get these things sooner than later um, and just and do it right. Actually, maybe don't pour a beer if you do it right. <laughs> do it after, <laughs> or drop your lightweight. Right. Or drop off your ballot. They're not allowed to, and this is a question, they're not allowed to, or they won't for whatever reason, start counting until that day, correct? Even though they've been getting Yeah, correct. Yeah. Yeah. And they can't, they can't, they definitely can't release the totals until that day. But that's like one of those big things that I think a lot of people need to be prepared for. Um, They're they're calling it the red mirage. And I've talked about this a few times, like on podcasts and Instagram lives, but um, you know, the red mirage is like, as as I think Kirk was alluding to that the majority of, of Republicans are probably going to vote in person and the majority of Democrats will likely vote by mail or some other, other uh, way um, by drop off or something like that. So um there's a chance that a red mirage, i.e. Republicans winning, will happen on election night. And I think like Conrad, you were saying the media needs to be how they extremely yeah. diligent about how they cover it um, because it will give him cause to celebrate and it will have him. Of course, he will declare victory on it. will declare victory either way. We know that. I don't want to see any of the states having like a red hue if it's leaning that way. No, all the states are, are just white until. Yeah. All the votes come in. I don't, you know. Agreed. Agreed. There shouldn't be, that's all how they handle that that night. And I think, you know, hopefully they're thinking through it, you know, and they, they handle it well. But And the mail your ballot sooner than later, yeah, they can't count it until election day. But it's just like there's, you know, the mail system, there's so many systems in place. It, it's just easier if they get it sooner than later, the ballot, the vote by mail ballot. Vote early. Yeah. Um, well, cool. Well, I think that was a good wrap of the of the headlines. Um, so I wanted to to jump into um, the main segment of the episode, which is why we're voting for Joe Biden. So um, again, we've talked about a lot of things on this podcast already. That's the point of unpacking, right? Each time you take a new layer off, there's something else underneath. So um, I want um, everybody to be able to go around and, and talk about um, why they're voting for Joe Biden. But before we do that, I want to give you a level set of where the race is, because I continue to see every time I talk to voters, they say there's no way that Donald Trump can win this election. And I think that if you keep thinking that and you keep channeling that, you could be very much surprised. On Have we election. learned nothing from four years ago? Exactly. Right? Exactly. It does not matter what the polls say. The polls are just a gauge of a moment in time. And the polls are not a gauge of turnout. They constantly poll likely voters. They do not poll people who are unlikely to vote. And any of these instances that we've talked about, positive or negatively for the Democratic Party, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Breonna Taylor, COVID, climate change, all of these things can drive people to turn out and vote in certain ways. So it's great. You know, when you look at 538, they have a 77% chance of Trump winning. And that's based on 400,000 models that they've run. Um, But that's Trump winning? Of, oh, oh, I'm sorry, of Joe Biden winning. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry, everyone. Sorry. 
matter either way. Um, <laughs> so 77. And, least, and it means literally nothing because Hillary had like a 105% chance of winning on what election day. So. And like when we when you think about polls, which I'm not saying they're not important. Like some no, polls are important, but you can't put, yeah. But I always say people go crazy. I'm like, have you ever been poll? Like, aren't you a person? Are you one of the people that are going to go vote on November 3rd? Like, none of us were probably poll. You know what I mean? So it's like, you got to think of it a little bit logistically. I mean, who answers their phone? I don't know. I, they be, they could be calling me every day. I would never know right. if the polling place was calling me. Right. Exactly. So when we think about that, like, what are the odds right now? Even if it's a 77 and 100 chance, you know, that, that Joe Biden's going to win, that doesn't mean that you should relax at all. So um, Pennsylvania, as we've talked about, continues to be the tipping point that people are calling. Um, so if Joe Biden were to win Pennsylvania, there would be a high likelihood that other states would follow just because of the demographic makeup of the state. But according to Real Clear Politics, there's a t- virtual tie in Florida, North Carolina, Iowa and Georgia, all of which are identified as like key swing states right now. The only swing state that Trump is clearly up in is Texas. And none of us should be surprised about that. It's great that Texas is turning more purple, but the likelihood of a Democrat winning in Texas is going to depend on how many people turn out and how my Texas listeners are going to organize. So um, it's just really important, I think, to level set when we talk about voting for Joe Biden, that there are still 10% of voters that are undecided, um, which seems crazy, of course, to us. But you have to, if you're talking to likely voters, recognize that many of them are undecided. So um, according to Crooked Media and Data for Progress, it's a polling company that they work with. The voters are most concerned about COVID, the economy, race relations, and climate change. So all of those things are really important when you're talking to people who are in the middle. If you know anybody in the middle, you might not, but you probably know somebody who knows somebody who's in the middle. So make sure you're talking with them about the issues that are most important to them. Again, that's all based on polling, but that's what we have to sort of go with. So that's just sort of a a quick state of the race. And we're going to keep talking about the state of the race because this podcast is pretty much shifting to all political um, from now until um, the election. So, and then post. So um, I just want to be able to kind of um, talk through with everybody why they want to vote for Joe Biden, because undecided voters are also continuously saying they don't know enough about Joe Biden. They know they don't like Trump, but they don't know enough about Joe Biden. So he has... Well, he's so new to the political world, you know? (laughs) 47 (laughs) years. I didn't know that he ran for um, the Democratic nomination in 88. I was like, my man. I know. It's wild. So Erica, let's start with you. Um, What's one of your reasons? I think one of my biggest reasons, and I feel like I keep seeing this like meme, like ask the, the left why they're voting for Biden and they can't mention Trump. And it's like, oh, they don't know what to do. Um, first of all, I think mentioning Trump as a counter argument is very much fair. Um, but also, I think that personally, um, what I like about both Joe Biden and Kamala Harris is that they have a record, a previous record that I don't agree with, but their current stances um, and even some of the actions that they've taken have said otherwise. Um, I think that we hold politicians to this weird expectation that they have to maintain the, the same values their entire lives. Like I think in middle school, I for some reason, took an anti-gay stance um, on Prop 8 that would have made gay marriage illegal in the state of California. I truly don't know why. A, I was, what, like 14? (laughs) And B, (laughs) 
Um, it wasn't something that impacted my life, but I thought that was how I that I thought that was the stance that I should have taken. And now looking back at it, I'm like, wow, that's dumb. Um, and I think all of us as humans should change our opinions as we grow and learn more. Um, so I think seeing two politicians who have shown the ability to change their stances on things that at one point were completely against what I believe in now is really important. Um, and I think that it shows that they can listen to the tone of the country, whereas, you know, Donald Trump is too proud to do that. He'll either deny, 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 or he'll bunker down, depending on what it is and depending on how it fits the agenda of his constituents. Agreed. Mm. Kirk, what's one of your reasons? I wish I was as logical as Erica. Um, I still think my main reason is because he's not Donald Trump. Um just kidding. I mean, not kidding. I mean, he's the only, this is, I, I know what you're trying to ask. And I think Erica's point is fair that it is a good enough reason because he's the only other option. Like, you know what I mean? Like, but that doesn't mean I, I wouldn't want to vote for him. I think, and I wanted to compare this to, um, as I'm sitting here looking at this Hillary Rodham Clinton book that I have that I bought after the election last time called What Happened? Um, I don't <laughs> want to read another one of those. Number one, there's another reason. And, um, I, I do, it's funny. I was like a Hillary stan. I still do like Hillary. Like, I think I was your typical, like, white gay male thinking, you know, Hillary, Hillary, Hillary. And I think, you know, essentially Joe and Hillary aren't much different. Like, let's be honest here. It, it's kind of the same thing again. Um, and I don't think I, me and myself now, four years later, wouldn't have been as excited to vote for Hillary as I was then. Cause I think I've learned a lot. I've grown a lot. I've got myself more involved a lot and understand like she wasn't the perfect person, you know, neither is Joe Biden, neither is anybody. But, you know, I, I lean a little bit more towards um, Elizabeth Warren than I would have probably back then. And it was only four years ago. So I think that, you know, I, I understand that Joe Biden's not my first choice, but I think even like I, earlier today, I went on um, both their websites, Trump's website and and Joe Biden's website to look at, you know, what, what they're telling people from a policy perspective. And Trump has things, but they're all things that they say he's done and they're not all completely, there's not a lot, to, there's not a lot of meat to it. And you go to Joe Biden's, it's like meat. And I'm not saying he's going to get everything done. I'm not saying everything is completely accurate or going to happen. But I appreciate that he has plans and that he has policies that he wants to put forward. And there's things that he, you know, wants to actually do. And that's something that I think, you know, Trump supporters don't really care about that kind of stuff. And I don't think Trump really cares about that. That's why it's not on his platform. You don't really know what his platform really is. Um, so I appreciate that about Joe Biden um, and, and Kamala. And to Erica's point, too, about this idea of changing and to Conrad's point about how he's been around for so long to hold him to things that he said 50 years ago. Um, I think, you know, if, if you're able to change in a logistical and, you know, smart way of changing, um, which I think he's capable of doing and has always done, um, to shift with the time, to shift with what's happening and what's actually right, um, as opposed to just shifting to a base that you've that you've gained, which Donald Trump does. I think he changes his mind, but it's not for um, the right reasons of changing your mind. He's the more logical person to choose from, I think. Yeah, without a doubt, right? All right, Andrew, what's one of yours? I think they pretty much said everything I, I would think and feel definitely. Um, you know, when it was announced that he was running, um, I was rolled my eyes. I was pretty disappointed. I was like, "Oh, great, not not this again." And as <laughs> as we got closer to primary season and things were going along, I actually had a little bit of hope. I thought, "Oh, we're gonna get Warren, or we're gonna get Sanders." Like the it seems like the mood had kind of shifted, and then there was this hard center right turn back, and it was suddenly Biden. And I think a lot of people became disenfranchised with that. Because it was like, oh, this is 2016 all over again. A lot of people really didn't want Hillary either. And here's another career politician. But I feel like 
he has kind of addressed those fears a lot in the last couple of months in a way that Hillary didn't during her campaign, um, where he's he has demonstrated that he has changed from the era of the 90s tough on crime stance and you know the other stances that you know it, it makes it laughable that anybody would call him radical left right so that's that's comforting and also i i just i have a sense that he will bring people into his government that would be people i would definitely want to vote for more so than what trump has done which is just pack it with his friends and family and people who owe him things or people who basically paid their way into his government like Louis DeJoy who is a evil man child <laughs> <laughs> I totally agree yeah I think that's one thing that is really important like the trust in in a candidate to bring in leaders that you can support and get behind like I want Bernie Sanders to have a cabinet position I want Elizabeth Warren to have a cabinet position I'm excited about that as an opportunity um, but Conrad what what's one of your reasons sure I think generally speaking like the the big question any American can ask themselves is are you doing better today than you were four years ago and I can't imagine most Americans feel that way, that they're doing better now than they were four years ago. So if if the election's held on that, I can't imagine that Biden wouldn't win by a, a landslide. For me personally, um, my friend Obilla tweeted this a while ago, but I really it's really stuck with me. This idea that sure, Biden was far from my first choice, but you can fight against Biden and make progress. You can fight against my, Biden and push him to the left. You can fight against Biden and win certain issues. Um, and you can't do that with Trump, right? And he's already proven that, Biden, with sort of some of his campaign pivots. So Biden is for ending cash bail, for ending private prisons, for raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour, for universal pre-K, for paid family leave, and for lowering the Medicare age. These are gigantic things that will help millions of Americans, millions of Americans. If we get the Senate and we get Biden and we hold on to the House, which it looks like we probably will, we could do some shit, uh, right? Like, and to what, you know, some of the other folks have already said, like, I don't think as much as I don't love Biden as, you know, a candidate, I don't think he's some ideological moderate, right? He's changed his mind over the years. He's proven he's changed his mind on some of these issues. So um, and on top of everything, what Andrew just said, you know, Biden's going to wake up in the morning, make a few decisions and go to bed, right? He's going to hire thousands of people in the federal government who are going to work their asses off to do some amazing shit. That's who I'm excited about. I don't give a fuck. I don't care about Biden. Right. But exactly. It's going to be his, all the people around him are going to be, I think, much better. Yes. I yeah. It's funny that we're, we're almost in a situation that conservatives were in in 2016, where they kind of yeah. made that devil's deal with, with Trump and where it's playing out right now, where it was like, all right, well, we didn't really want this guy. And a lot of them admitted, you know, my own family included, who are all staunch conservatives, like they still voted for him, but they were like, we have to, we feel like we have to, because it's going to get those people in the government that we want in government. Are they turning as Cindy McCain and going to vote for Biden now? <laughs> no way. No way. No. It's, it's funny. There's just, Can we there's Skype definitely... them right now? What's, what's up? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's it's hopeless. If you want to spend the rest of your night, just okay, we'll make we'll like, make sure they know election day is November fifth. Yes. November fifth is election day. Well, That's he did say have... he wanted to move it. He did say he wanted to move it. So he did. I convince them. 
I'll fake a I'll fake a life site news site and page <laughs> and send it to my mother via email. Someone That'll has to do that already. All these things go viral. That needs to go viral. hundred <laughs> percent. Trump yeah. finally was able to. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead, America. Like, you could literally call, make a website, call it the Nationalist or the Great American, yeah. post a whole bunch of bullshit articles like Patriot Eagle. Yeah, it takes one aunt to post it on Facebook. Yeah. It's legitimate news. Like, it is my favorite thing. Oh, my God. I, I stand. I love that idea. So my reason for, for voting for Joe Biden is specifically on his plan for, for civil rights. And I'm kind of a policy nerd. So um, I do like to really dig into their policies, read them, make sure that I can articulate them clearly to other people. And there are two things in his plans for civil rights that I find like particularly admirable and also that, 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 that demonstrate a direct understanding of systemic racism. Um, and I think it's like, like I'll phrase it some, in some aspect of like barrier to entry of just like things that like black people have to worry about that are they're economically disadvantaged by i think one of his or two things in his plan for for racial equity show that and the first one um is a particular investment via credits and capital for black entrepreneurs and small owned businesses i think oh, that that's hugely yes. important mm-hmm. um just Sorry, because i just like, interviewed on a ship i'm about to say probably what you're about to say i just interviewed on a ship of the sustainable business network here in philadelphia and she said that she's like you can have the same exact credit score, but if you're a black small business owner, it's you know X amount more harder for you to get a loan. And this is today. This isn't redlining, you know, a couple of decades ago. This is today. Philadelphia, a majority black city, has two and a half percent black owned businesses. Um, the system is just a, a wall against you know black folks in Philly creating you know creating and starting businesses. The banks are a, a stop. It's yeah. It's crazy. You either have to be a, you have to go to a black owned bank or you have to have a relationship with a current banker. And those are like enormous barriers, especially to young entrepreneurs, especially to young black female entrepreneurs, like for them to get even to a place where like they feel like they can make an investment, I think is like a a huge thing. And then to get denied because of the banks or because of capital or because of investments is just crazy. The the, the gap between like people who can open businesses and people who can't will only continue to get wide if we don't have somebody who's going to like level set that problem. And I think it's like, that's why I say it's like, it, it shows just like an understanding of the issue um, to make people have a little bit more of an equal playing field by, by doing things like that. And the next one, which is, is also tied to it too, um, it, it is around housing um, and part of their like equal rights within housing plan. They want to expand housing opportunities um, with a refundable and advanceable tax credit of up to $15,000 for first time home buyers. And I don't know that that's specific to the black community, but that is specific to other people being able to own homes or people of lower income being able to own homes. Um, um, I would love to buy a home. Can you say that again? $15,000? Up to $15,000 for first time homeowners. Um, and it, in, a, in the form of a tax credit. I'm mad. <laughs> Do you own a home? Yeah. <laughs> But, I mean, I also will say, like, I I did purchase this home with um, the benefits of privileges that I've, you know, acquired both professionally and just with the general support of my families. Um, and I think that when you have people who grew up in a neighborhood and they get to invest their money into property in that neighborhood, uh, you see a lot of really powerful growth. 
and you see people getting more involved. And I think it brings, it kind of brings back that like America that I think is great where, you know, you have this beautifully diverse neighborhood where everyone is just as invested in the next person um, and everyone has more to give. So I truly think that like those are the policies that I care about or the ones that build neighborhoods because I mean, not to say like fuck cops and what they do, but like I think we wouldn't need cops as much if we invested more into neighborhoods and neighborhood programs, even arts as Conrad has mentioned a few times. I think it's all about investing in what's already there instead of investing in kind of importing something that doesn't need to be there. Totally agree. And I'd say too, with home ownership, that's I understand too, like that offers you all kinds of protections, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're a renter, they can up your rent however much every year. But if you're a homeowner, you control that a little bit more. And when there's downturns, like my parents um, in the 08 recession, like they missed a, a handful of mortgage payments, their house was up for a share of sale, and they got they went through a government program that that helped them figure it out, um, yeah. save our home, something, something, you know, those sorts of things don't exactly, you know, help renters as much, you know, there's just more help for homeowners. So yeah, I agree. More people should have the opportunity to own a home. Yeah. Agreed. I also think that it's like, I know this is my shortcoming. Almost every general primary interim, every single election, I do not pay enough attention um, to top to bottom local officials. I think it's important to just like fully educate yourself on who is on the ballot for your state, your city, your district. And, um, you know, Conrad said it as well. Like the people who we vote for locally are the foam at the top of a wave. You know, sometimes, it doesn't even make sense for the wave to try to crash on the president's shore. So uh, educate yourself to your local um, elections and, you know, try to vote where there's change that can be more immediately seen. And I think the president wears a lot of hats, but the president only has so much control. Um, We still have state and federal laws that are completely separate from each other. And I'm trying to get marijuana legalized. Because I'm fucking stressed. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like the governor is too. Yeah. But we. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Help some of these small businesses, you know, get bailed out through marijuana tax. Sounds good to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just want to agree I, also with everything Erica said. Like, absolutely. Like, 90% of your life is run by local government, the local government that you may or may not vote for. So that's so important. And if you've listened to this hour and 100 minute and 50,000 minute episode of this podcast, <laughs> you can spend an hour researching local candidates. You know, the information's there. Find your local resources. WHOI is a great one here in Philadelphia. You know, before any election, even just a couple of days before, go look, Google who, what's going to be on the ballot. There's, there's all the resources in the world are out there. Yeah, I have done it in the parking lot as I went in to vote yeah. on Ballotpedia. Hey. It is that easy. Yeah. And I think that like people just think it's more complicated than it actually is because you look at all those names and you're like, well, I'm a Democrat. I guess I could just vote for this. But like, really, like every election is a local election in yeah. some aspect or another. Yeah. Yeah, there's so much focus on Trump and Joe Biden, but it does really, really matter. So care about your communities for sure. Um, uh, Andrew or, or Kirk, any, any final thoughts? I think we basically summed it up. I mean, got to vote him out. At least with Biden, 
if even if we didn't fight him and Biden was left alone, we wouldn't continue to race breakneck towards the right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Also, because no one else has mentioned it, can I also just say that, like, I hope every Democratic ticket moving forward is not all white and not all one gendered. You know, like, mm-hmm. if the Democrats win, then we have, you know, our first woman vice president, and that is gigantic. I'm excited about that as well. Me too. Yeah. Good call. It's easy to overlook and that. And Kamala Harris has been one of the most progressive senators. So I'm, yeah. 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 I think she's getting a lot of, I know she's not perfect either, but is the shit that she's getting from most liberals that I speak to or, you know, super, super leftists, which I'm not saying I'm not or I am, but, um, you know, I think she gets a lot of shit for some of the stuff that she's done that I I think we need to hold her accountable for, but also like understand like it's kind of um, Erica said earlier about, you know, change. Like she's able to change as well. Yeah. People are going to grow and change. People have been in public life. I think one thing hopefully people have learned, that's the gamble we took with Trump, right? Like, oh, he's a private citizen. You know, he'll run the country like a business. This is what we get when we when we elect someone like that. You know, when we elect public officials, they're going to have a public record that, that sometimes goes back decades. And you're not going to agree with everything. And they might be wrong. They probably will be. And hopefully they admit it and they move forward and they grow. And I'll, I'll close um, with kind of like my final reason, which I think is a reason that is um, most relevant to me, um, considering the background in which I grew up. Um, there's always talk around who's going to raise your taxes and who is not going to raise your taxes. Um, and specifically, one of the main reasons why I want to vote for Joe Biden is because he wants to roll back the Trump tax cuts. And so one of those things that he wants to do is that he will only raise taxes on people who make more than $400,000 a year. And that is the top 1% of earners. That is likely nobody who listens to this podcast. It is likely nobody's parents who listens to this podcast. Um, so that's a really important talking point to keep in mind. And you can go and, and look even at this, They should pay their fair share. I don't care right. how much you make. If you make a half million dollars a year, you can pay your fair share. Well, that's the logical and emotional side. So. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. So, so between like the fact that Number one, they should pay their fair share. Um, and then number two, uh, I, I think that the other important thing that Biden wants to do is is increase the corporate tax rate from 21% to 28%. And that is something that Trump cut significantly. Um, now, a lot of corporations weren't paying that anyway. So Biden also wants to close loopholes in that tax rate. And I just think that that's a really important talking point because Republicans will say, they're going to raise your taxes. And uh, if they raise the taxes on the businesses, I'm going to lose my job. Well, Joe Biden also has an economic plan that's going to increase uh, jobs by 10 million, um, specifically through green and renewable energy. So again, just a couple things to kind of keep in mind when you're talking with voters. But that is me getting off of my soapbox. Um, and I want to close out this episode with just like a couple wrap ups and action items. Um, we're continuing to do a lot of really cool partnerships with So You Want to Talk About, um, Shit You Should Care About about um, 150 reasons. Um, and we're going to continue partnering with those influencers um, as we sort of keep kind of telling our story. So keep an eye out for the election action plan. We have a little task every couple days that you can do that's either donating, that's sharing, that's raising money. Um, and they're all things that are going to either protect your vote, fight voter suppression, or help you engage with other voters. It's everything from phone banking, text banking, donating to just like 
being a volunteer on election day and supporting the polls. So there are little things that you can do every single day. Um, and I would be really grateful if you guys um, continue to share um, the post from today, because all of the proceeds that we're sharing from the post from today, um, we're basically every time you share, we're going to donate another dollar up to $700 um, towards um, Mi Gente, but it's like spelled differently um, with a J. Um, and that is an organization that specifically um, advocates for the liberation of Latinx people. And that's especially important during uh, Hispanic Heritage Month. So again, little things, little action steps that you can do, whether it's a dollar, whether it's a share, whether it's a call, all of those things will help Joe Biden get elected. Um, but I want to thank um, everybody who joined tonight, which is a lot of people to thank this time around. And the way that I like to do that is just make sure that you guys can sort of sign off um, and then share, obviously, your social media handles as well. So um, Conrad, thank you for being um, such an awesome guest on our podcast and contributing so much. Um, you know, this is not something that we typically do. So where can people find you um, and how can they get engaged with your stuff? Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This has been a really fun podcast. You're, you all are really great to talk with. Um, and these are all important things that we're talking about. You can follow me on any social media platform, Streets, S-T-R-E-E-T-S, D-E-P-T, like short for department. Um, and yeah, I talk again, mostly about art in the public space, but more widely about public space in general. And um, I'm Really excited to share the To the Polls project that will be launching in early October, the project that um, will create Instagrammable opportunities for you to share your civic engagement with your followers. And then Mailbox Voters, that's an Instagram handle, Mailbox Voters, will be creating content over the next few weeks that just explores how to vote this election. Since it is, it's new, it's, you know, it's, it's easy, it's not complicated, but it's new for people. So, you know, a little help doesn't hurt. Cool. Andrew, what about you? Yeah, uh, thanks so much for having me. Um, this is my first live podcast experience, <laughs> actually being on the podcast and not just behind the soundboard. Um, I am only on Instagram at A-N-D-R-W-J-N, where you can find my random photography and a couple of art projects that I have done. Um, I don't post there often, but that is where you can find me. Kirk, what about you? You can find me on Instagram at, at kirk.charles. Um, you'll see a lot of my nieces and nephews. I don't have five children, if you're curious. They're not mine. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, thanks, Paul, for having us. Always, I'm excited to, you know, ramp this up and keep this going up into the election and talk about everything that is important to talk about from, each, from week to week. And I think I would leave everyone with, um, I think the most important thing to do, which kind of Paul just spoke about, was... You know, if you get your keep yourself educated, in understanding what you're voting for when you're voting for Joe Biden or whoever it is you're voting for. And when you come into conversation with people that aren't necessarily feeling the same way you are to have that ready to speak about. Because I think it's the best way of getting people to understand like, oh, they actually do stand for something. And I actually am interested in that. And I never would have found that because I never would have done the research myself. So I think just having those quick tidbits of facts is super important for the next few weeks. Um, so just keep yourself educated, as I know I will. And Erica, we always like to close out with you. Oh. Hello. Um, uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Erica, E-R-I-C-A underscore Megan, M-E-G-A-N. And it is quite literally like either like a nose up picture of me and like me saying something I'm frustrated about um, or like my cat. So um, <laughs> Clearly, my content is A1, and I think Conrad should really watch out because I might take the throne, but <laughs> <laughs> no, um, 
if I could say anything, it is just, um, you know, when you go in and you vote, like I said, and I will say this a million times, I think local elections are truly the most powerful. It does not take long to just kind of figure out the few hot button stances that um, certain politicians are taking. And then on top of that, just, you know, listen to each other, um, continue to educate those who need it, and also continue to educate yourself. Not one of us is an expert on anything. Keep working and also realize this doesn't end on November 3rd. Um, So whatever advocacy you're doing now, that does not need to stop when hopefully Joe Biden wins. And if Trump wins, then I think you, and I truly pray to every higher being that he doesn't. But if Trump does win, it doesn't mean that you need to stop working. It means that you need to kick it into overdrive. So good call. Well, thank you guys. Thank you so much for joining. And uh, thank you everyone for listening. Um, Obviously I'm Paul um, at it's Paul Warren on Instagram. Uh, I will be continuing to scream into a void from now until November. Our next podcast is going to be about the presidential debate and our reactions to it. And then we're going to talk about the stakes if Trump wins. And then we're going to talk about the vice presidential debate. Um, And then we're going to talk about a couple other things. But there's a lot of cool things that we're trying to do between now and November. Um, As always, you know, uh, feel free to share this podcast with a friend if you are so inclined or share us um, on social media. You usually do a little post about it when it does go live. But that has been another episode of Let's Unpack That. Uh, Thank you guys so much for listening. And we will talk to you guys next week. Thank you.